0: <laughs> hey, welcome to hindsight the podcast. I'm your host Lee Jones, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey of exploration with you. We often find ourselves reflecting on the choices we've made and wondering how our lives might have unfolded differently if we had taken a different path. Here's the beauty of hindsight. It gives us a chance to gain wisdom and learn from our past decisions. Look, this podcast is a platform to dig deep into those pivotal moments and uncover the invaluable lessons Hidden within. <laughs> look, I'm Lee Jones, your host, and I couldn't be more excited to have you on board. So let's dive right in and explore the fascinating realm of decisions on Hindsight the podcast. When you look back in hindsight, everything is twenty twenty. In hindsight, you make mistakes, we're learning from them. In hindsight, your yesterday and your tomorrow. In hindsight is much clearer now. This is hindsight the podcast and introducing your host, Lee Jones. Hey, welcome to Hindsight the Podcast. I'm your host Lee Jones and today's guest is a true servant leader. Meet what You know what? This is probably we were in the green room and this is probably something that I should have asked you. <laughs> 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 All right, I'm gonna try it first. And then you mm-hmm. tell me if I'm right or wrong. All right. The today's guest is a true servant leader. Meet Juanito Bernadin.
1: That was very good. Very it, good. It's close, but not not precise. What is it? I'll tell you, Lee, very few other people in my life who actually pronounce it the way it ought to be pronounced, even the people who love me. So I have to tell you, you did very well. The Juanito is pronounced, though most people would say Juanito. Uh, which is really the Canadian way of pronouncing the T's. You often hear Canadians say Toronto instead of Toronto. Gotcha. (laughs) Uh, So Juanito is really good compared to everything else you could have said. That's actually quite good. I'll take that. (laughs) All All right.
0: So Juanito is the chief information officer at Library and Archives Canada. Born to Haitian parents in Montreal, he's held key roles in various federal government departments, Beyond his career, Juanito's deeply committed to community service and has authored Dad's Car Rides to Impact Valuable Lessons, Life Lessons to His Daughters, despite a prolific tech career, he's ventured into the digital world to share his life journey. At oh, to share his life's journey at ww.com, which is his name. I'm honored to have him here. Welcome, Juanito. How are you doing, and where are you calling
1: from? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent, Lee. I'm calling you from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. This is the nation's capital on this uh, Friday afternoon. Oh, wow. How's the weather? Is it cold yet? Not yet cold. Beautiful, crisp, uh, wonderful fall day here.
0: Yeah, it's, I tell you what, I'm in California, and it's... It's it's receding back into the uh, hot temperatures. So uh, mm. yesterday it was 104 where I live at, which is freaking ridiculous for November.
1: But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something tells me in about four weeks' time, I wish I will uh, be able to change places with you.
0: Oh, I know Canada. I I got a friend of mine, actually friend friend co worker. He's from Canada, and uh, yeah, he's he's. Uh, Canadian through and through he actually misses and loves the cold weather um, mm. living here in California so um mm. I I hear you I just can't do it I'm from Maryland initially you know mm-hmm. not initially yeah initially I'm from Maryland and uh, moved out to California a few years about 10 11 years back and uh you know I don't want to go back to Maryland just to visit family. <laughs> I, I don't, I miss the seasons, but I don't want the winter. I'll take everything else. I don't want the winter. All right. Let's, I don't know if I want to jump into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, before I start asking questions. So like, what is it that you do? What is being the chief information officer at the library and archives of Canada? What does that mean? How did you mm-hmm. get to that spot? And just, just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Sure. So I, was born and raised in Montreal which is in Quebec a francophone community my parents are from Haiti and so I have a Haitian background growing up we loved going to church we loved eating Haitian food we loved celebrating Haitian culture in Montreal and i developed a passion fairly young for community service because of my church involvement i also loved technology i loved to tinker with things take things apart and try to put them back together. And so as I grew, we moved from Montreal to Ottawa, where I am now. And later in my teens, I decided I wanted to try to be a a pastor and have a a minor in business. And so uh, that was my mindset. But around the last year of high school, I discovered that God had other plans. And so I traveled all the way to Niagara, which is near Buffalo, New York. There I studied business. And when I finished my degree, I was really blessed to start working for an IT company. And this small startup had me doing everything under the sun within a software company, from tech support to implementation of systems, consultation, training, marketing. Well, I was blessed. And over a 12-year period, after having touched a little of everything, I became the general manager of the company. And 12 years later, left that company to then join the Federal Public Service of the Government of Canada. I started there in project management and eventually made my way back into leadership and became the Chief Information Officer, firstly of the National Capital Commission, and then more recently of Library and Archives Canada. And I like to say that a Chief Information Officer has a few roles, but three key roles are to absorb and understand a lot of information about the use of technology in an organization to make the lives of people better, both in the organization and also the clients we serve. And so after you absorb, learn, and understand it, you want to simplify that information so that you can convey it and explain it and guide and direct people to make use of those technologies in order to make their lives and the lives of other people better. And then finally, you solve problems because the world is fraught with risks and challenges, cybersecurity risk, information, data leakage risks, and loss of productivity. These are all issues you deal with every day. So as a CIO, you're constantly on the lookout for problems and creatively coming up with solutions. And uh, that's been my life for the last uh, few years as a CIO uh, in the federal government and then before that in the IT. Altogether I've been in IT and business in the last uh, over the last 20 years. God had different plans. Hmm.
0: So what led you away from wanting to be a pastor in, in going into the direction that you ended up going?
1: Yeah, certainly. You know, growing up, we were surrounded by people who had different levels of faith. There are people who have a kind of faith that is so bold that even when they don't have the resources to do something, they still step out in faith and believe the resources will come to them. I remember growing up and some kids would leave Ottawa and go away to school without having all of the fees to actually pay for tuition. They just believed that God would provide. And many of them actually would come back three, four years later and testify about how someone mysteriously paid for their tuition. Well, Leah, I never had that kind of faith. (laughs) So around my final year of high school, When we did the accounting and realized how much it would cost for me to go to the school I needed to go to to become a pastor, I just didn't have the confidence to go out there without a plan and just trust that some way, somehow things would come together for me. And so I pivoted and said, rather than doing a, a major in theology and a minor in business, I would just focus on doing business. And by doing that, it allowed me to go to a different school that was much cheaper and that was still within the province. And I never looked back because that is where I met my wife. It's where I started working for that startup. It's where I put down roots. I lived in that Niagara community for 15 years before moving back here to Ottawa. Right. So much of who I've become has been as a result of the investments that I made in that area and the investments that people there made in me. So I got at a master plan and it's been good. Awesome. Okay. Okay. So those are the successes, Mm
0: -hmm. but failures can be tough to handle. Right. And this is hindsight. So, you know, it's, it's going back and, and looking at your journey. Mm-hmm. And um, can you tell, tell me about a specific failure that made you question your direction and purpose and what kept you going despite the setbacks?
1: There were a few. All throughout this time, the 12 years that I worked in that software company, I continued to stay active as a preacher in my local community, in my local church. And often when you're behaving and acting like a pastor, people ask you if you've missed your calling. So I lived for a very long time constantly being asked by people, why is it that you didn't go to theology school and why is it that you didn't become a pastor? And almost feeling as though I was living a parallel life that was subpar to what I was supposed to be just based on the feedback I was receiving around me. So that was a challenge, but eventually I believe the people around me saw that it was in fact a blessing that I didn't go to theology school and I was able to really be a force for good in the industry, in the software industry where I was operating and in the marketplace. So I took that as a positive. Then in my professional career, I uh, suffered many setbacks. For instance, I remember working in the startup at a very young age, I became a leader. And at some points had to make decisions about when to enter a certain market and when to invest in certain technologies. And at times, because of my risk adverse nature, I would be a little late in making a critical decision to make an investment because I would be treating the company's money as though it was mine. And because in my own life I was quite careful and meticulous to not spend too much, I would bring that mentality into business. And I can look back in hindsight now and see that it probably cost us some market penetration, some market share, and some market success. I was just too careful. Right. Yeah. You know, I learned from that and over the years <laughs> of course, have become uh, more willing to take on risks and more trusting of the entire team that is with me taking the risk and most importantly, believing that God has a plan and things can work out if we put in the right effort and the right attitude. And the right momentum, right. So, can you recall a time when you felt like just giving up?
0: And and if you maybe you didn't, um, but if you did, what brought you from the brink and motivated you to to kind of keep going and persevere?
1: Certainly, throughout that journey in the software industry and working with that startup, I felt like giving up many times. There were times, for instance, when we would go a few months without getting our sales results and unlike the federal government in the private sector, if you go a few months without getting your revenues, you sometimes have to let go people. So I remember being in meetings during which I had to let go of some really cherished colleagues, people I appreciated personally, whose life story had become part of mine because we worked so closely together. And after a few quarters of just not hitting the numbers, when you have to let go someone you've worked with, that's challenging. And it made me wonder whether I was in the right career, the right field Did I have, what it took to take the company and keep pressing on and pressing forward. I felt like giving up quite a few times, but a few things always kept me there. Firstly, every now and then out of the blue, you would get a success you didn't expect, you know, a deal that you didn't think you would get or some, uh, extra opportunity. You thought you were going to make this margin, but you made that margin because the client took on more products than you expected. So that was always a boost. And then I was fortunate to be surrounded by people who also spoke a lot of words of affirmation, both in the company and also in my private life, my wife and my church community. And so that helped too. And then eventually through perseverance, things turned around and those difficult years became years of plenty. And so whenever you have a good year, even after two difficult ones, that one good year is enough to give you strength to carry on for another two or three. And that's how I I lasted in that software company okay. uh, for 12 years. Wow. Servant leader.
0: You consider yourself a servant leader? I do. Yeah. What's the benefit? And explain that. I know it's in the Bible, but explain what a servant leader is and and what's the benefit of approaching leadership from that perspective for you personally.
1: Mm-hmm. Primarily for me, the notion of being a servant leader is that you seek to elevate the people that are following you and you seek to do so by displaying humility, by displaying Uh, self-sacrifice and by displaying an interest in their well-being, even if it means above your own. And I find that when you treat your followers that way, they then in turn treat the mandate of the team or of the organization that way as well. So if you, for instance, are leading an organization that serves customers Mm -hmm. and you as the leader uh, have a servant leader, attitude towards your followers or your employees. Then in turn, they have a servant leader attitude towards their stakeholders and their employees. And, and in turn, collectively, you do a great job to serve your customers. You delight your customers and that off course leads to all kinds of profit. So uh, the advantages for me personally is credibility. I found that typically when I act with a servant leadership mindset, my team has a belief that I care for their well-being, and that gives me instant credibility. Uh, secondly, it also removes any kind of hostility that there may be in a power dynamic or power play dynamic. Often, when you have uh, a hierarchy, an organizational hierarchy, uh, sometimes there could be enmity between the lower levels of an organization, and the higher level of the organization. Not even because you've done anything wrong, but because people bring baggage from their past managerial relationships into the next one, and so they have preconceived notions and things that have happened to them. And right away, when you demonstrate to them that I'm here to serve, I'm here to help, I'm here to do good together, uh, all of way uh, right away, that hostility uh, can can go away. And, and then ultimately, I just find there are better better outcomes uh, on every level imaginable, whether it's financial, uh, customer side, uh, you just get better results by putting yeah. people first. Yeah, I think so. I, I believe that as well.
0: <clears throat> I just want to hear your perspective and then you, you, you're so eloquent in mm. the way you, you present your information, right? Uh, so I really appreciate that. I, You know, I just think when, when, you, when you, you know, from the military, I was in the military uh, mm. for a while and you kind of got to have that. That you don't have to, right? I, I took on that viewpoint, that servant leader, mm-hmm. because you can just get so much more yeah. <laughs> out of people when they know that you care about them. That's right. You know what I mean? And then you move that into the business world. Um, you know, your customers understanding that you have their best interest at heart, um, it's not all about you making profits right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a partnership. It's a, it's a team, it's a family, Have you know, whatever words you choose to use. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it just makes things go a lot smoother when there are those challenging times as well. That's right? right. When you need to lean on them, uh, for some support because you're, you know, whatever you want to call it, but I really do appreciate you saying that. Um, so, so in the in the in the hmm, let's see how I want to say this in a spirit of reflection, what's one thing that you've learned from a failure that you believe has made you a better leader or contributor in your field?
1: If I think in the government sector so that's mm-hmm. the last eight years of my career, and I look back at some failures, I think sometimes in the desire to do good and desire to serve, I may have overlooked some important warning signs. And that's mm-hmm. something I've learned. Sometimes you can be so optimistic that you simply receive, re- refuse to look at the facts and deal with the facts as they are. Right. So that's something I've learned sometimes entering into a project or an opportunity having overly estimated the positive outcomes and maybe put to the side what were obvious warning signs. And it's not that had I heeded the warning signs, I would have made a different decision. I still would have proceeded, but I would have put in mitigating controls and mitigating measures in place. So that has made me a more well-rounded leader, I believe, that now I'm able to still remain optimistic and at the same time take stock of what may be the adverse or competing factors and then putting mitigating controls and measures in place to address those factors while still pressing on with optimism.
0: If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice based on your experiences, what would it be? Uh, Fear less, trust more
1: yeah trust. go ahead. I was gonna say, trust what yourself or trust yourself, yes. Uh, trust God, and also tr- trust people. Trust the the people who are around you, who have given you reason to trust. You know in my in my younger days, I may have been so focused on self and individual performance. That if I personally didn't feel I could overcome the challenges, then the challenge wasn't worth facing because I couldn't face it. But now I recognize the importance of a team. And I feel this is perhaps one of the challenges that most leaders experience. You know, there are people who simply are born with certain leadership abilities. And of course, there are others that learn those abilities. But for the 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 people who are born with leadership abilities, you tend to go into the world often facing like all things have to be conquered alone, right? Because you're often the one at the top. You're the one with the ideas. You're the one who leads. You're the one who brings everyone together. And so if you don't see how it can happen as a leader. There's a tendency to simply say, well, this can't be done because I can't see how it can be done. Well, over the years, I've learned to lean on and leverage my team as much as they lean in, uh, on me and leverage me as a leader. And and trusting them more means that we collectively can take on more and achieve more together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is, uh, that
0: is an experience, definitely an experience, uh, knowledge, uh, I should say that is knowledge gained from experience because that's one of the harder things to do is to kind of delegate or to trust that someone is going to do the right thing, trust that you've trained them properly to do the right thing or, or that they've got the experience to do it. You know, whatever it is, that's a hard thing Mm -hmm. because as a leader, it ultimately falls back on you. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, So I I definitely get that, you know, I, I tell my, the, the people that work with and for me, you know, hey, look, in this particular area, you're the subject matter expert, so I'm gonna trust your recommendations. We'll talk about it, but I'm gonna trust your recommendations, right? And it's it's done me well, right? Because now they have ownership, now That's they have right. a stake in those decisions, and you know, now they have purpose as well. So, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with you on that. And that is some great uh, advice for your younger self. Unfortunately, we tend to not really get it until we've experienced. <laughs> uh, some, some setbacks or some failures because we can't do it all. That's right. Right. That's why you got a team. That's why you got your family who support you. Those ones you talked about earlier that, you know, you need to trust a lot of those, uh, people, if we trust in them, uh, like we should, you know, it'll mm-hmm. help us along in uh, p- take some of that stress off our back. Now mm-hmm. you spoke about your family and you spoke about your wife and how they support you. Um, So now let's, let's, let's dig a little deeper into the family. And what prompted you to write Dad's Car Rides?
1: So for many years, whenever I would be on the road, I would experience a moment, whether it's a conversation with a prospect or a funny incident or just a practical lesson learned in the moment. And I would think to myself, when I have children, I want to pass this on to them. So mentally for at least the last 20 years, I've always known that at some point I would want to convey these moments to them. But recently, especially during COVID, we were all spending time together, much more time at home during the day. And sometimes during lunchtime, there would be a moment when all of us would be at the table together. My two girls, my wife and I, and we would just talk and laugh and share moments and stories So at that time during COVID, I thought this is, this is the moment I have to put all these thoughts on paper. And so at the beginning of this year, I decided I would write one page per day and my writing wouldn't be of one continuous story. It would be written in the form of a devotional where each page would teach one lesson. And I would try to weave in a story of something that happened in my life with a practical lesson they could apply for that day. And Things were going really well, Lee. Every day, I woke up around 4 or 5 in the morning and wrote one page. And I did this for four or five months. And then at one point, I thought to myself, hmm, I'm writing this for my two daughters, one is 16 and 12. I should pause and find out what kind of book my 12-year-old will actually read in terms of font and format. Because I don't want to write... A 365 page book that she ends up throwing in a corner somewhere because it's too big. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I checked with her and she showed me a book she was reading. She said, If you write it to be this font, this size, you know, with this number of pages, I'm going to read it. And look, it didn't take me much longer to realized by around June this year that I had written more than enough content to turn it into a book that she would read. So at that point, I stopped writing and went to the editing process and fast forward a few months and by September, the book was done. Wow.
0: I'm still trying to write a book. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm farther along than I have been in a while. Uh, so I've, I have finally got some motivation and some purpose, but that is a very purposeful book. And yeah. Have they have they started to read it?
1: You know, Lee, I've decided not to pressure them about it. So yeah, they, yeah. they each have their own hard copy. And every now and then I walk by their room and I looked inside to see if the book has changed place. Is it still in the <laughs> same place on the or has it moved? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know if they started reading it. But at this stage, mission is accomplished because I know for sure. Someday in their life, they will read this book, whether it's while they're teenagers or in their 20s or in their 30s, or maybe one day when I'm late to rest, they'll remember that I wrote it and they'll go right. to it. So the main job was getting it on paper and the next job is theirs to do when they're ready. That's pretty cool.
0: Give me give me like an example of of a lesson. And I'm just curious um, because I know it's life lessons and things like that, and, and I can almost Imagine they would read it when life starts hitting them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe they have some kids or some daughters, right? And they're trying to bond or they're about to have kids. Um, but what's a, a, a lesson in there, and you know, a lifetime of lessons? Hell, we got a bunch of them, right? But what's mm-hmm. what's one that you believe would really impact their lives when they read it?
1: They're two girls, and they're living in a world in which there are so many voices. I truly believe that. Listening to right voices leads to making better choices. In one section of the book, I speak about building character and the kind of attributes that are essential to having good relationships. And one such attribute is emotional and intellectual safety. And so I spoke of research that was conducted that demonstrated that the happiest people in the world After decades of being studied by this university were people who had emotionally and intellectually safe relationships, not with hundreds of people, not even dozens, but just a handful. Some of them Mm -hmm. only had a spouse or a friend, but after years and years of studying these people's lives, they found that the most productive, self-fulfilled, self-actualized and happy, joyful people were people with whom... Uh, they could found that they had good, safe relationships. And a safe relationship is one in which you can be yourself with all of your flaws and know that even if you go through disagreement and difficulty and tough time, your relationship will survive your honesty. And it's surprising nowadays in this era of social media, in which you would think that people are more connected than ever before. The reality is that fewer and fewer of us have emotionally safe relationships, relationships in which we can be our true selves and live to tell. And so that was one lesson that I conveyed that they should seek to have in their lives, not necessarily hundreds, but just a handful of meaningful, true, safe relationships in which the honesty that is expressed in both parties is not a threat to the trust upon which the relationship is built. You know, and I have to think about that even in my own relationship with my spouse, how important it is for us to be able to express each other, each other's feelings and, and concerns and cares, honestly. And despite the impact that what I say might have on you, I can know that we're going to live past it because we both care for each other and we feel safe. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole life. You're right.
0: Life lesson right there. Um, Mm Mm-hmm you spend a lot of your time being around people that aren't going to give you that safety. That's right. You know, and at any given turn, they'll turn your words against you. That's like, right. The trust that, that you had in them. And so being able to find those people yeah, and nurturing that relationship is important mm-hmm. because a lot of times those are the ones that you kind of, take a crap on right (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) for some reason you know that's that's Mm -hmm. how that works um so i believe that that is truly a lesson for everybody to know you know get your get your team right um make sure that you're nurturing those relationships Mm -hmm. right but you definitely gotta identify who they are first and 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 (laughs) stop putting all your energy towards people who aren't in that circle yeah that's right that's right all right. Obviously, that's not how you said it, but that's how I took it. <laughs> yeah. No, man. That,
1: that Everything you've just said is is all part of it. It's a, right. something that has a lot of dimensions to it when you ponder it truly. Absolutely.
0: And so can you recall a, a sort of quirky or unusual moment from your career, or it could even be in your personal life that in retrospect brought some unexpected,
1: unexpected joy or some sort of wisdom? Oh, yeah. I can think of many You know, (laughs) I I I recall early in my career, I would have these trips, and the purpose of the trip was to go and do demonstrations, software demonstrations, and I would travel to places in Canada, in which there are very few people who look like us, look Mm -hmm. like me. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm a tall black man, so traveling in Alberta or the prairies in the early 2000s, sometimes I would get into town and it was obvious that it's been a long time since they'd seen anybody that looked like me. So I recall once walking into a a Tim Hortons, which is like a Dunkin' Donut or coffee shop, and a young boy... Looking at his mom and then looking at me and pointing to me and said, Look, mom, this man is chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) So I I thought, oh well, you know, it could be it could be worse. (laughs) Yeah, it (laughs) could be be worse. (laughs) I'll take that. So I'm standing in line, and at that time I could tell that people were looking. You know, who is this guy? Where is he from? what's he doing in our town? And some of the people in line were not so kind. you know. Yeah. I tried to say hello and some wouldn't really look at me or say hello back. And of course, of course, they didn't know what I was doing in town. And this, these were small towns, sometimes 5,000, 8,000 population. You know? So after picking up my beverage, I would get in my car. And then sometimes when I traveled long distances, I wouldn't put on my tie while driving, but when it was time to go present, I would actually put on the tie. So I put on my tie and put on my suit jacket, you know, clean up and drive to my appointment. And, you know, Lee, oftentimes when I walked in to then do my sales presentation, the very people who had seen me earlier in the coffee shop were the people I was presenting to. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. Yeah. It's such a small town, right? <laughs> yeah. They,
1: they, they didn't know. <laughs> and you see, my name is Juanito. But often, back in the early 2000s, my name, Juanito, would get auto-corrected by Microsoft into Juanita.
0: Hmm. So
1: people would not know until I arrived that I wasn't a small Spanish woman. I was, in fact, a tall black man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I would then show up, and it was obvious by their look on their faces that they were surprised to see me, and some felt a little embarrassed about the way they had not shown me much kindness or grace earlier on, but I was always gracious and graceful in those moments. And I took it as an opportunity to offer redemption. So I would be kind. And sometimes someone would mention, Oh, I thought I saw you at the Tim. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. Good. Good to see you, you know, know, (laughs) smooth things out and create good relationships. And It's funny because now in hindsight, some of those same people are people that I know if I were to come back to those towns, I could pick up the telephone and call them and we built great relationships. So, so, you know, the quirkiness of this incident is that sometimes the way that you are perceived in your first impression, is just not fair. It's not accurate. Sometimes it might even be discriminatory and all of us in those situations have power to turn those situations around. And much of what we choose to do in that situation depends on the resilience that we have, the confidence that we have in who we are and what we can contribute and our competencies. And by God's grace, around that time in my career, I had enough of all of those attributes that I was able to not allow the situation to defeat me. I was able to become a victor over it rather than a victim of it. Right.
0: Yeah. I, uh, that's a good one. That's Mm -hmm. a great story. Actually, I recall it may, it just made me remember sometimes because, you know, being in the army in the the United States, if you're stationed here in the United States, it's usually around small towns, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right? So where the land is cheap and the government can lease it cheap, right? So they build up a, build up a base and kind of, you know, funnel the money into the communities, right? So there's bottom line is the small towns. And I know uh, I was in Pennsylvania, and the one thing that I noticed was when I walked around just regular, normal clothes, mm-hmm. you didn't really get the, I'm not going to say respect, hospitality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when I was in my uniform, everyone's smiling, everyone's happy to see you, <laughs> let me buy you this, thank you for your service. That's right. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it was just, it's just a a funny feeling to walk in those two spaces, I guess. Right. Um, And to your point, how you deal with that means everything, right? Because now you have an opportunity to show, Mm -hmm. right? Because I don't look like you doesn't mean that we can't have a, a, a positive relationship. That's right. And it doesn't mean we got to be friends and the best of it, right? But we can be cordial. Yeah. We can be okay with, you know, being in the same space, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I just remember that. And I was like, it's so, it's so, uh, what is the word? I was going to say unfair. It's mm-hmm. not unfair. It just is what it is. But it's so, It's it's just so. <laughs> I'm getting passionate about this, and I want to find the right word because I can say <laughs> a word, <laughs> you know what I mean. But it's just it's just such a wasted opportunity, yeah. Right to grow as a community, to grow as a, as a people, yeah. In being in the military, what I have had the opportunity of doing is going a lot of different places. And so, say if I were to, I'll give you a good example. I'll give you a great example because it's really simple. And this is me personally, so I'm not saying this is how everyone thinks. This is me. Mm-hmm. You go in a casino. So you go in a casino here. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, Asian Asians that are walking around. And they're walking like really fast. They bumping into you. And I'm like, say excuse me. You yeah. know what I mean? Whatever. Whatever it is, right? Whatever the scenario. And I get frustrated and irritated. Well, I had an opportunity to deploy to Japan. Mm-hmm. And you see a different dynamic, Right. You see, there's a lot of people, a lot of moving parts, and they're just getting to where they're getting, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how they got to do it. And you go to some of these other countries that are the same way. It's just a lot of people. And right. there's no time to, like, excuse me, like they know what it is, right? <laughs> they just, just are trying of the to culture. Keep... Exactly, right? And so it just gave me a different perspective. And though, still, I think, you know, you should still be respectful and cognizant that people are in your area, right? It's not all about you. Mm -hmm. I did have a different appreciation for, okay, they have had 20, 30 years in this type of environment. Now they're here. It's different. Different. Right. So, um, anywho, that's, that's me. I digress.
1: (laughs) Ah, I like that. I like that. You know, and in the example you gave about walking with the uniform and the different reaction, the way that you chose to respond in that situation would either give you an opportunity to educate or not use an opportunity to influence and educate for the future. So now because of the way you chose to respond in the situation and still remain cordial and jovial and, and still integrate into that community that you were in, in the future, if they see someone not in uniform, walking in their town, they may remember. I remember that time I saw the guy walking in my town, <laughs> not in uniform and with uniform. And now you've you've turned a situation that could have been simply one of being a victim to one not only of being a victor but also an educator, because you've influenced mm. people to hopefully uh, have better treatment of others that come after you. And all of us benefit from that, right? People who set groundwork before us that we benefit from, and hopefully, in our time on this earth, we set a a better precedent for others to ex- enjoy a better experience too.
0: And if in if, a good lesson in that is look for those opportunities as well. And yeah. look for it. it is happening around us all the time. That's right. Right. There's a lot of good things happening. I remember in Pennsylvania, I was in uniform and I sat down to get something to eat and I got up to pay and it was like, someone already paid for your lunch. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that's awesome. Right. So when I went in later on, there was an older, older lady, she was sitting there by herself. And I I went to the when I paid for my food, I said, Hey, is she here with somebody? Right. And, and they were like, uh, no, she's here alone. So it like in their seventies and eighties. Right. And I was like, no, mm-hmm. oh, that kind of sucks. Right. So I said, all right, I'm paying for her meal.
1: Hmm.
0: And you just walk out. Like, I'm not telling them. Right. But, but it was because of that lesson. Like, I didn't know you could do that. That's right. I didn't know you could pay for somebody else's meal. Right? Well, that's right. <laughs> so someone did it to me. I pass it on. Right. I had my reasons. I'm sure whoever Paid for mine had their reasons, right? That's right. But there are opportunities, right? To just do those random acts of kindness. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And like you said, be the educator. We don't have to be angry just because the news says everyone's angry. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a different way we can engage. Is there a
0: specific aspect or story from your journey that you're eager to share, uh, but we haven't touched on it yet?
1: Well, if I were to encapsulate it into one story that is in the book, I would share this. I take pleasure in making the girls listen to movies from when I was a kid. And Lee, you know what I discover every time I do that? Man, the standard was way different back then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I look at some of the stuff I was allowed to watch when I was a kid and man, it's just movie making was different back then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. is <laughs> so, just a little different. <laughs> a little different, a little different, you know? So recently I wanted the girls to watch a movie that had a positive impact on my life when I was a kid. And I was eager for them to see it because there was one quote particularly that I wanted them to hear. The thing is I forgot other parts of the movie that were mm. violent, but <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, that when I was a kid, you know, was fine, but today I recognize (laughs) was not an appropriate thing for me to be watching at that young age. And so when that scene came up, we, we talked about it, we explained, and then we kept watching until we could get to the scene I wanted them to see. And eventually that scene came and the quote came and I'm paraphrasing and I'm not stating the right author here, simply saying that if you've given a, a choice, between being right and being kind, choose being kind. That was a quote I wanted them to see. And if there was one aspect of the book that I would want them and, and anyone reading it to really extract, it would be that so often in life, we think we're right. And in our belief in our own righteousness, we're willing to do and say all manner of things, things that will hurt others things that will enable us to get a leg up and suppress others. And sometimes later on, we come to discover we weren't all that right after all. (laughs) (laughs) And very few of us are humble enough to go back to the scene of the crime and apologize to the people we harmed along the way. So I truly believe it's important in this society, particularly given everything going on around the world, sometimes when you have to make a choice between being right and being kind, it's better to be kind. And that doesn't mean you have to compromise on basic fundamental principles of love and respect and hope. These are universal concepts, but I truly believe in the power of the and. I think you can adhere to those lifelong principles and be kind at the same time. And so often we make those two things as opposites and we feel that in order to be right and convinced about that which we think is so true, it's worthy and worth uh, destroying other people. And that I find is an unfortunate turn of events in society. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that is that is a, that is a great quote mm-hmm. uh, that you paraphrased. And, you know, a lot of times we do get into these uh, debates, arguments, whatever, right? Not necessarily physical ones, but the whole point is that you're right. Yeah. Right. That's the whole point. You don't care how you get there. Yeah. But I'm right. And, you know, you you described it, you know, eloquently just then. You, you'll throw all kinds of stuff in there yeah. to kind of push somebody down or whatever just to be right. And you got to think about it. Sometimes if it's somebody you care about, we talked about the team and the family and all of that earlier. If it's somebody in that space, right, is it worth being right on yeah. something as trivial? And then determine, is it trivial? This exactly. the, This fight, who cares, right? And then you just kind of let it go. Some things you kind of got to stand on your 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 laurels, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 fight it. But most of the conversations that we have, you don't. That's right. And if it's going to be something that's damaging to a relationship, then you just got to ask yourself: Is it worth the relationship? I'll just be kind.
1: That's, that's right. a
0: good. That's a good moral. I love it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I love it. What are you working on now? Are you working on a new book?
1: Not a new book. In the book, I talk about a few of my different ventures. And so I dabble in music for fun. I also have a a real estate passion that I'm developing. And so over the last few years, we started making investments in some properties. And so right now I'm thinking about doing a development project, which would be a a combination of affordable housing and uh, also green development. So I, I look for ways to integrate my various passions for benevolence and community service with technology uh, and also the the for-profit ventures that I used to spend so much of my life in prior to joining government. And I find real estate and real estate development is the next frontier that allows me to bring all these things together. That's amazing. So I do want to follow up. You
0: dabble in music. What does that mean? You listen to the radio or you <laughs> you playing an a instrument or you're singing? You're the lead singer in a band. What what do we got going here?
1: When I was a kid, my dad taught me how to play a guitar and later on taught me how to play the bass guitar so that I would be able to play alongside him. And so for many years, I used to play the bass guitar for gospel choirs and in church. And in the last five to 10 years, because of everything you can do with a home computer, I started to do some recording on my own. So over The last few years, every now and then I will come up with a new name and (laughs) publish a few songs under that name on Spotify. And sometimes nobody even knows that I'm doing it. And I go back on Spotify and listen to my music and I might have a few people in my inner circle who know, and then I'll take it off Spotify, go back, produce different music of a different genre altogether, and then go back with a different name and put it back on Spotify. So I've been doing that for the last few years and it's quite enjoyable.
0: (laughs) That's, that's, so, okay. So now I was, I was, I was getting ready to say, where can the listeners contact you? But now I got to ask more questions. So, (laughs) so what? What is how do I say this? All right, I'm just gonna say it. What do you get out of putting a music on Spotify and taking it off? Are you learning to do it better? Or are you just trying to see what the feedback is? What is your what is your uh what is your motivation?
1: So there Warren, few- I, I think you love doing music, so I get yes. that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love doing music, so that's for sure. But there are a few things about the process of actually publishing the song that are Innately rewarding. Well, number one, if you go back to when we were growing up, right? Yeah. If you made a song, the best you could do to publish the song was to record it on a cassette tape. And if you wanted others to hear it, you had to physically get to them, give them the tape, press play, and so on and so forth. And that tape, that medium, was your tape. In fact, you probably got it from a dollar store, so it didn't look like much. It didn't have a cover or anything, right? It was just a tape, right. right? So it was amateur in every way. But now, when you put a song on a platform, be it Spotify, Apple, anything, you're literally in the same space as the stars. So it's the equivalent as if you went back to back in the day Sam the record man or HMV or the the record store. And if your tape was actually side by side with a professional song by a professional record, like Stevie wonder's record is right there yeah. and then you're right next to it. right? Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, so in the digital world, you get that same reward when you put a song out there and it's literally, you can press play and listen to, ribbons in the sky by stevie or these three words and then you press one more button and your song is right next to it <laughs> <Isn't that something? laughs> so for me i just find that so rewarding because of where i'm from right because of the era i'm from so that is a reward for one number two there are a few people whom i let know that i have a song out and when they go and listen, it's all of course, more convenient for them to be able to play it from a platform they already have access to rather than having to ship mp threes and so on and so forth. So a convenient right. factor there. And if ever I do want to let people know, for example, right now, I've decided that my latest moniker is a name that I've allowed to slip and I've actually put it on my website. So if people go to videos and they scroll down to the bottom of the page, they'll see some of the songs that I've released under my latest name. So it's easier for people to find me and, and listen. But I might do that for just six months or a year, and then I'll take those songs out and I'll go work back in the lab on new music and then come out. And for the next year, people won't even know that I'm on there, but I'll be taking on a different name.
0: That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. And some of the songs
1: are quite different. So I mean, I'll have some music that's that's quite gospel in nature. Then I'll have some yeah. music that's more like hip hop and rap. Then I'll have some music that's more like R&B. Um, and I just, I'm all over the place. I, I do whatever feels right. Uh, and then, of course, I also do music and write music for for my daughter and my wife. My my wife is actually the real singer in the house. She she's a powerhouse, and I have a couple of songs that I've written for her. Uh, one that's on on the platforms that, right now, and my daughter is also coming up as a great singer. So I have a song for, for that I've written for her that's also on on Spotify and all the the media as well.
0: Man, I know that's right. Mm-hmm. So to help the listeners and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to connect with your work and learn more about you, where can we find additional information or follow your latest projects, uh,
1: your latest uh, musical exploits, um, and yeah. any kind of insights? Where
0: can we find that at?
1: The easiest way that consolidates everything that's the book, that's my blog, that's the music, the videos, the podcasts, and everything is my website. So that's my full name, W A. N-I-T-O-B-E-R-N-A-D-I-N, JuanitoBernardin.com. That'll take you to everything. And what's really neat is I've been more active in recent times so that if people even type that name in Google, my website will probably be one of the first two or three hits on there. So that'll take them there. Uh, Beyond that, if people are interested in my music, Right now I'm using the word Otinaw, which is my name spelt backwards, O-T-I-N-A-W. You type that into uh, Apple or Spotify and you'll find a few of my songs uh, in there. Uh, And then I'm not on social media in an active way, but if people do a search for the word dad's car rides, dad's car rides, they'll find... uh, Book uh, account on Instagram, but they'll find the book itself in all of the shops. That's Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, everywhere you can buy eBooks, you'll find it. In fact, there's in, in fact an audio version as well of the book that's also being distributed everywhere. So just look for Dad's Car Rides by Juanito Bernadine and you'll find it. Nice. I'm on the site now and I see, well, at least on the video's part, I see six songs by you. Who is Hope Hope for a Time? So Hope for a Time is the name of the song by my wife, Renatha. Your wife. And And that's her on the photo? That's her on the photo. That's right. All right, she's holding that mic like she about to throw it down. I'ma listen to it as soon as
0: I as soon as I get done with this.
1: If you only um, listen to one, that's the one to listen to for sure. No, I'ma listen to
0: all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. I really appreciate that, and um, I just want to thank you, uh, Juanito, for joining me today on Hindsight the podcast. Your insights and experiences have truly been invaluable. Really, and I appreciate you sharing your story. And I'm sure the listeners have found it both inspiring and thought provoking. Uh, go out there and search for that music, and definitely get the book for sure. Dad's car rides, and um, I look forward to having you back on soon. Now, you know, I'll, I'll put it out there on here, and I've been putting it out uh, other places as well. In 2024, I am looking to go to the video format. All right. Um, instead of just a, you know, the audio format. So I'd love to have you on uh, if, you, if you'd if you have me.
1: Yes, it's a deal. Let's make it right. happen. And uh, who knows, maybe by then I'll come out with a different artist's name. And <laughs> I
0: was going to say you're going to have some new
1: music. <laughs> new music, maybe working on a new book. And hey, I can give you an update on my real estate development project. Here's the go. That sounds good. Let's make it a date.
0: Hey, I really yeah. appreciate it. And I look forward to having you back on the show. And until then, uh, take care, OK? Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to Hindsight, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay updated on future episodes packed with inspiring stories. Before you go, leave me a message with your thoughts, feedback, or suggestions for future topics. And if you're loving what you hear, please take a moment to rate this episode. Your feedback helps me to grow and reach more listeners just like you. So remember, life's a journey. Stay tuned, stay curious, and keep gaining wisdom through the power of hindsight. Until next time. Oh, and don't forget, subscribe, leave a message, and rate this episode. When you look back in hindsight, everything is twenty twenty. and high. Make mistakes, we're learning